Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And a warning to all of you people who have a, uh, don't want a certain movie ruined for you, I'm going to give you this warning. Just walk away. <laughs> Leave the gasoline and walk away. <laughs> we are going to be reviewing the classic film, that, that testament to uh, uh, human drama, The Road Warrior. George Miller's The Road Warrior, starring Mel Gibson and um, a bunch of really dirty Australian people, um, released in 1980, I believe, in Australia, and in 1981 in um, the United States. Um, it was originally called Mad Max 2 when it was released, but in the U.S. they just called it The Road Warrior, I guess, because I don't know. I don't know if Mad Max, the original Mad Max... Um, was ever released um, in the U.S. Do you know? Do you know, Steve? I don't know if it was or not. To tell you the truth, um, I know if it was, it didn't. It certainly didn't leave as much of an impression because right. they, they they felt comfortable releasing this one. You know, not as a sequel at all. So. Right, and also apparently there are a couple of versions of this movie out there. There's the um, uh, what's called the lost version, which was. Uh, including uh, alternate shots that was for the TV release and there was yeah. an alternate dubbing at the beginning for a guy who didn't have an Australian accent because I guess it would just <laughs> confuse American audiences or something because um, we don't know about people from other countries now I know that the version that I just rewatched for this review was the original Australian version that said Mad Max 2 at the beginning and did not say uh, The Road Warrior. Do you know which one you saw? I think that's the same one I watched. I watched wh- whichever version they have on Google. Ah. I-, I rented it on Google Play, so that's whatever. I, they, it, the title card was Mad Max 2. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, just a word to warning before we recap the plot. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is an incredibly old film. Uh, what, 30, 40 years old? However old it is, I don't know. Um, but if you have not seen... Uh, the Road Warrior, like a certain reviewer I know up until this assignment came oh. through. Um, don't listen. That's right, I'm telling people not to listen to the podcast that we're recording. <laughs> You're going to kill the uh, audience, man. <laughs> whatever. I'm saying that if they haven't seen The World Road Warrior yet, they're doing something wrong. Or, you know, maybe they're just not interested in post-apocalyptic uh, genre. Maybe so. they just don't like sand. Oh yeah, maybe they heard there's lots of sand. There's in a lot it. of or sand, dirty, dirt, dirty people, or football, uh, football pads. They don't like football padding. <laughs> so if you don't like football padding, sand, uh, snakes, um, uh, really graphic violence, then don't don't you probably are not interested in seeing the movie. But since I love all of those things, I've seen it. <laughs> are you ready to do the recap, Steve? Let's do it. Do you want to do the recap, Steve? I will follow along with you if that's all the same. I've only seen this one once, and I kind of I, I, I screwed up Batman about halfway through last time <laughs> when <laughs> I know that just... like when I know that like the back of my hand. So let's just have you take the point for the okay. Road Warrior recap. All right, so Mad Max or Mad Max Two or the Road Warrior opens with a kind of previously on Mad Max <laughs> where we get. Um, for uh, and it's not just for American audiences; it's for other people who maybe hadn't seen uh, the first Mad Max movie. Uh, we get a, a recap of the world that they're establishing, um, and that is that uh, everything's kind of gone bonkers because we ran out of, of gasoline. Basically, you know, uh, oil. We hit peak oil, and it all ran out. 
and people went nuts and and uh, people went to war and society fell apart. What a crazy fantasy! Yeah, oddly prescient is one. <laughs> Watching it when I was a kid, I was like, "That's impossible. We'll never run out of oil." Now I'm kind of like, "Oh, so that's what my retirement years are going to be like." <laughs> a mere thirty years later, now all of a sudden, it's like, "Well, that's not a wacky fantasy at all." Exactly. So we're kind of uh, treated to a lot of uh, stock footage of uh, World War Two. And uh, oil refineries and a, a voiceover narrator, a, a kindly Australian man, basically telling us that the world is gone to shit. And oh yeah, this one guy, this Max guy, who used to be a cop, and his uh, kid and wife were killed in the previous movie. Um, he's he's kind of lost his way in a weird way, too. Although uh, there is a mention of the fire that burns within the human heart or something like that. Something something noble. I'm not sure if the movie uh, lived up to that statement yes. of him <laughs> preserving that. He has unseen, unremarked upon noble intentions. Mm-hmm. So we get this great uh, lead-in shot at the end of the of the uh, of the uh, uh, opening montage, where we're zooming down onto a road in the barren uh, Australian outback, and then the movie really starts. And Max is. Uh, all beat up, wearing black, you know, wearing his football pads, but only on one side. <laughs> I don't know why he wouldn't want to opt for the two-sided model. Maybe he really loves his uh, his right shoulder more than his left shoulder. That's his tackling uh, shoulder. And he's driving his souped-up interceptor, which has nitro burst things and um, big gas tanks, and uh, uh, comes standard with a uh, uh, Australian cattle dog, who's uh, named Dog. Um, <laughs> they're not a terribly and, creative people. No, <laughs> and they're he's being chased by these uh, uh, these uh, kind of ravaging scavengers on motorbikes and in other cars, and they're chasing him down. And uh, he uh, he dispatches them relatively quickly. I think one guy <laughs> gets uh, smashed up into a abandoned. Uh, uh, big rig that's on the road, and uh, the other one that's on the motorcycle with his boyfriend. I'm not joking. <laughs> on him, <laughs> riding. He has his boyfriend riding bitch on the back of the motorcycle. He gets a, a, a bolt shot in his arm. Uh, friendly fire because Max uh, stepped on the brakes, yes. and then the guy who was shooting it misses it, and it goes into the other guy's arm. And and uh, uh, Max immediately stops because he has to run back to the car that has crashed into the big rig to try to collect the gasoline. Because remember, gasoline is super cheap. Uh, it's not super cheap. Super scarce. A point that they make over and over and over again in this well, movie. It is kind of the premise. It is all. It is the only it's premise. It's the only premise. Gasoline is life in this movie. And um, so he runs up and he's uh, collecting gas, but uh-oh. The the mean mohawked leather clad football pad wearing dude um, <laughs> rips the 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 bolt out of his arm screaming and then he he rides off for some reason I guess oh he sees that uh, Max has a, a relatively rare thing which is a weapon a sawed off shotgun he, and he's not gonna mess with a sawed off shotgun because all he's got is crossbow bolts and a and a very blonde boyfriend. You, so see, he, you, you see that? More <laughs> guns do equal less crime. That's right. And then <laughs> then he rides off, and Max opens up the cab to the 
to the truck and he finds a gooey, gross, dead guy. <laughs> a dead zombie falls out. Exactly, which is a jump scare. A lot of people think that jump scares are new. They're not. They've been around forever, and this was a jump scare of yeah. a gooey body falling out. Although I thought it was interesting that Max doesn't really react to it a whole mu- a whole lot. It's almost he as doesn't he's react seen to anything at all. We're establishing that he that he's seen everything. There's no, yeah. almost no strong emotion when he's being chased, when he's almost shot. When he's uh, staring down the guy on the motorcycle as he rips the uh, arrow out of his arm, uh, Max has this kind of like, oh, well, this again? Is it Tuesday already? Another dude is ripping his, an arrow out of his arm? <laughs> he's dead inside. He is, he is dead as a doornail inside. Um, so he uh, then climbs back in his car after getting whatever gas he can uh, manage to get, and he comes across a uh, gyrocopter which is kind of like a super stripped-down helicopter. It's like a flying chair. Yeah, it's like a flying chair. It's like a flying couch. And that's where we meet the gyro captain, because names, we don't need them. Uh, (laughs) That's literally his name in the movie. (laughs) You know Max's Uh, name. What more do you want? Yeah, exactly. And everything else is whatever they are. That's how names go in in the (laughs) post-apocalyptic future. Um, (laughs) Hope you like your job, because that's your name. And briefly, the gyrocaptor, uh, gyro captain, uh, gets the drop on Max, but Max quickly reverses it thanks to Dog, and um, he's about to kill him. And the gyro captain says, "No, I know where you can get tons and tons of gas. There's these people, and they're refining it, and they're 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 they've got more gas than you could possibly ever want." So Max forces the gyro captain, uh, you know, shackles him up. And forces him to take him over to where these people are, are producing the gasoline. And he goes up to an outcropping on a ridge. And uh, he, he through binoculars, he's uh, watching uh, as this huge gang, uh, coincidentally the same gang from the uh, Mohawk boyfriend guy. He's, that's the same gang. <laughs> is uh, The Mohawk boyfriend gang. Yeah, seemingly just kind of driving around in a circle around this complex where they're fighting them off with uh, flame throwers and, and bows and arrows and stuff like that. And um, we have a long period of voyeurism at this point <laughs> where we're seeing things from Max's perspective uh, kind of uh, far away, um, uh, watching the events unfold, the gang attacks, then they, they drive off. The next morning, um, some people leave the complex in cars. Uh, they get captured, uh, killed. A woman is sexually assaulted. Uh, Max uh, has no reaction to any of it <laughs> at all. The gyro captain is horrified, um, and rightly so. But, just uh, just Ma- to let us know that emotions do still exist in this world. Exactly. It's just Max that's dead inside. Yeah. Max takes his car, goes down, finds one of the dudes that have been attacked by the ravaging gang, and he's like, look, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you back there, but you promise me gas. And dude's got an arrow in him, and he's like, whatever, yeah, we'll yeah, do that. Yeah, sure. To do it. So Max takes him back to the to the um, people who are refining oil. They let him inside of the complex. Uh, they start working on the guy who's been shot. They're really upset. And Max is like, "Hey, I I made a deal with that that dead guy over there for gasoline." And they're like, "Fuck you! That was between you and him. We ain't giving you crap. You're a scavenger and a parasite." Max doesn't have a, a whole lot of class. I mean, no, while, while he, they're tending no. to their wounded friend, he's like, "Hey, can I get my gas?" Okay. You know what, Steve? Tact is something that belonged to the old world. Oh, that, I'm this sorry, is the right. new world, and there's I, no such thing as tact. I'm judging him by our standards. Yeah, there's no politeness. 
There's no tact. And just as a side note, these people at the oil refinery, a lot of them are blonde, and all of them are wearing white. Just so we we understand that they're different from the Ravagers, who are almost all wearing black, except for one dude who has a pink car and a pink beard. Jason, <laughs> is that symbolism? I, I I would imagine that they have uh, white on, and the bad guys have black. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that you symbolism? Think so? I, yeah. I don't know. I was asking. I don't. Ever since Star Wars, I got my blacks and whites mixed up because <laughs> uh, you know stormtroopers wore white. And I thought that meant that they were the good guys, so I was rooting for the wrong side for a lot of Star Wars. <laughs> Fucking George Lucas. All he ever does is confuse me. Uh, what were we talking about? All right. So anyway. The blonde, um, white-clad people. Yeah, the blonde, white-clad people. In the tire fort. And the man with the uh, most uh, extravagant and large wheelchair ever. <laughs> they decide they're going to keep his car. And they're just going to boot him out because they, they figure he's a parasite. In fact, someone actually calls him a parasite while he's, while he's there. But, oh, no, the Ravagers are coming back. And they're going to they're gonna lay down an ultimatum to these refinery people. So they, they handcuff uh, Max up. And um, outside we meet the Humongous, or Lord Humongous. Yes, um, the hero is, of the piece. Yeah, who is near as I can tell, if you want a description of him, he's kind of like... Jason Voorhees' more successful brother. <laughs> he's he's a gigantic, muscle-bound man wearing a hockey mask. Um, he's got, got a little, uh, you know, balding going on. Uh, more like radioactive scarring yeah. or whatever you want. They made sure to show you shots of how messed up his head is. Yeah. But he's his he's body, the toxic Avenger under that mask. <laughs> but he... Um, comes he comes out and he tells them, "Look, guys, just uh, just leave. We'll let you leave, and uh, we won't kill you or nothing. Just uh, leave the oil, <laughs> leave the refinery. I promise. I swear, no backseas on this. You can just take off. You know, everything will be cool." Um, I know I we're know a that, wandering rape horde, but you can yeah, trust I me know on this. We just murdered eight of your uh, compatriots, uh, one of whom we raped, and uh, a couple of the survivors I have tied as a human bumper on the front of my vehicle. <laughs> but I swear, but you can it's all good. totally trust us. But, oh, his speech is interrupted because a feral child with a stainless steel boomerang has taken this opportunity to attempt to kill uh, some of the uh, some of the gang, and he throws the boomerang out, and everyone just kind of watches it because it's fascinating to watch a boomerang go out and come back. Um, and on the second throw, it hits. Oh no! It hits the Mohawk's boyfriend in the head, right in the forehead. And uh, by the way, I'm not going to call him Mohawk's uh, gang member anymore. He, he is one of the few that does have a name. His name is Wes. And I can't remember the actor's name who portrayed him. He he was also the bad guy in Commando, if you need that. And he was also in in Weird Science. So Don't he had quite him. a career for himself there in the 80s. Yeah, kind of playing the same character over yeah. and over he, again. He rode that 80s action wave until it broke. Exactly. Yeah. And Wes uh, is a little upset about this. <laughs> and uh, he... Just he wants to murder everyone at this point. He's like, I want to kill them all. I'm going to kill all of them. But you know, the humongous has really great skills when it comes to dealing with his own people. And uh, him and uh, and Wes hug it out until Wes is unconscious. 
<laughs> basically, he grabs Wes and tells him that we're going to do this my way, and I'm going to uh, basically put you in a sleeper hold yes. until you pass out. He comes from the Brock Lesnar school of conflict resolution. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then Wes is like, I can, we can end all of this horror. You know what I'm going to say. I'm going to come back in 72 hours, and then uh, I'm going to kill all y'all. Bye. And then they take <laughs> off. So this starts up a debate uh, amongst the uh, refinery people, and some of them are like, he sounds like an honorable dude. Let's leave. He said he'd let us live. While other people are like, you're insane. He's not going to do that. We need to take the oil. We need to get out of here because we have this plan um, based on a crazy person's idea. <laughs> okay, I need, to, I need to interject here. Living amongst them is, for no reason, a man who's dressed like George S. Patton. <laughs> yep. Who has a... Uh, an old, uh, I guess, travel brochure to uh, some beachside uh, resort. And their plan is to take all the gas and uh, travel 2,000 miles to this beachside resort, which they call Paradise, so that they can all live there and everything will be happy and awesome. That's their plan. (laughs) Seems like a well-thought-out, reasonable plan. Mm -hmm. (sighs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. So anyway... Uh, they have a problem. They have a tanker. They have a tanker to carry all this fuel in, but they don't have a rig to pull it. Well, thank goodness Max is there, because Max is like, hey, look, I know where there's a rig, and if you fill up my car with gas, um, I will go and go get it. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're just going to take the gas, and you're going to take off. And at this point, I'm kind of like, yeah, he probably would. He would probably (laughs) just leave. So what they do is they give him gas tanks, and they say, uh, you can take this gas. What he says is, I need five, what is it, five gallons of diesel and a couple and gallons so much, of high octane. Yeah, high yeah. octane, yeah. And so uh, they to load him up. With. To party with. Um, he goes, uh, travels back uh, to his old camping spot on the ridge, and lo and behold, the... Uh, 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 gyro captain is gone, but don't worry, he catches up to him. And then makes him carry the gas all the way out to the rig. <laughs> our hero, um, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, our hero. Um, in which he uh, then forces the gyro captain to take him there via his flying machine, the, the gyrocopter. They get out there, he gets the rig started up, and then uh, in a nice little thing, he uh, gives the gyro captain the keys to the shackles that he's shackled with and, and allows him to l- unlock himself. Isn't that nice? Just to show he's not a total bastard. Yeah, and for some reason, the gyro captain is now convinced that they are partners. <laughs> I mean, when someone shackles me and, and, and then abandons me on a ridge for a couple of days and allows his dog to attack me whenever I, <laughs> he commands it, I, I assume that that person is on my side that will do great things together. Well, um, he, he could. He was smart enough to recognize a protagonist when he sees one. He knows. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he knows to stick with this guy. Exactly. So, um, Max drives the rig back, but oh, the gang, gang sees him, and there's more ch- chasing and, and people jumping on the rig and blowing <laughs> out the tires, and Wes jumps on it, and he's like, I'm going to kill this guy, um, because, uh, wait, technically Max didn't shoot the arrow into his arm, or kill his boyfriend, but for some reason, Wes is really fixated on Max. <laughs> it's a classic case of projection. 
Exactly. Um, he gets back to the refinery and he gets in. Oh, but a, a few of the gang members get in as well before they come uh, close the gate. Um, Wes uh, jumps around where we get to see his ass a lot because mm-hmm. for whatever reason he's wearing assless chaps. <laughs> it's hot, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot he's out wearing, there. He's wearing mostly black leather. Um, and he uh, there's a lot of jumping around and people getting their necks cut and stabbing and <laughs> And uh, Wes escapes, and uh, he's going to get in trouble because he shouldn't have run after Max. Uh, Humongous wanted uh, them to, he, you know, he all Wes wants is revenge, and he wasn't supposed to go. And in fact, he has a weird line where he says, when, when Wes takes off, he says, disobedient puppy, I think is yeah, what he says. Yeah, yeah. A little creepy. A little creepy. A little creepy. Um... So anyway, Wes gets uh, gets out of the gets out of the refinery, and um, Max is like, "Okay, I brought you the rig. Fill up my car. I'm leaving." <laughs> Still don't and, care about you. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, you did it! Way to go! Here's some bullets. You're awesome. You're going to join us, right?" And he's like, "No, bye." And they're like, and then another guy comes in and goes, "Hey, you're going to join us, right? You're going to r- drive the rig, and you're going to help us out." And he's like, "Nope, bye." And they're like, "Come on!" And then the little feral kid who's uh, forming a friendship with Max, and even though he doesn't speak, he's basically like, "I'm going with you." And Max is like, "Nope, bye." <laughs> <laughs> it's like these people he's don't just, get it through their head. He's resisting you... the tropes. He's they're trying to load him down <laughs> with all these tropes. Like, no, you're going to be our hero. Look, you're going to befriend the kid. And he's like, "No, no, no, nope, nope, nope." I'm... Even the giant Cairo captain who's landed and got a girlfriend almost instantaneously. Um, um, he's going to take off with her, and she's like, "No, I, I got to stay. This is uh, these people are my family." And even the gyro captain goes, "Yeah, okay, I'm in too. I'm staying as well." Max, nope. The gyro captain even says, "Hey, you're you're missing out on a great deal here. Why don't you stay here?" And Max is like, "Okay, how many times do I have to say this?" No. Goodbye. And he, Max is like, open the gate. No, okay, I'll do it myself. But they do it. They honor the contract. He gets his gasoline. He drives right into the middle of the gang. <laughs> and they, uh, they uh, you know, knock him off the road, and he has a major crash, and he's horribly injured. <laughs> he's nearly killed moments he's after leaving the killed, compound. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Wes is there and he dispatches a couple of guys to go down there and take a look at the car and to gather the gas um, and oh no uh, Max is smart he's rigged his car to explode in case anyone tries to take the gas without flipping a particular switch um, and the car is going to explode but not before the uh, gang proves that they're the most evil people in the world by killing his dog yep <laughs> Which is, you know, the only reason the dog is there in the first place. Is to get killed. Yeah, you know that the poor dog just ain't going to make it. It's sort of standard for these action movies. Right. Like, oh, he's got a dog. That's Exactly. So, uh, car explodes. Wes assumes that he's dead and it's all over. And, oh, that, no, you know what? I take it back. That was the time uh, when he takes off after Max. That's the time when Humongous said, you know, know, disobedient puppy. He's not supposed to be going after that one dude. Um, well, you knew so, there was a disobedient puppy in there somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. now Max has nothing. He's crawling through the desert. But luckily, uh, there are better people than Max <laughs> in this world. And the gyro ba- captain um, sees a plume of smoke on the horizon, figures Max has had his ha- ass handed to him, goes out and rescues him, flies him back to the refinery. 
they patch him up and uh, Max stumbles out and he's like, hey, I got um, nothing. I have nothing. All my stuff was in that car. That's exploded. My dog's dead. Um, all that gas you gave me is pretty much all gone. Um, yeah, sure, I'll drive the rig for you now. And, of course, they're a little bit like, oh, I see. So now you got nothing. <laughs> I get it. And, and he's like, no, come on, I need this. And once again, thankfully, since there are better people than Max in the world, they go, they go say, okay, you're fine, you're going to drive the rig. So here's the plan. They're going to drive the oil rig. They're going to smash it through. They're going to make the whole oil rig into, like, a big um, fortress with spikes and they're going to put people on it that are going to shoot bows and arrows at any attackers. And the leader of the refinery gang is going to be uh, driving alongside in his own car. And uh, they're just going to make for hell. And everyone else is going to climb into the other vehicles. And they're going to all meet up at some bridge or something later on once they escape all of their, their dudes. They go, they're going to meet up at the one tree in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so they... So they, everyone takes off, and uh, they're fighting, and, and oh no, the feral kid got onto the rig. He's on the rig, the little kid's on the rig, and he's not supposed to be there because it's super dangerous. <laughs> and there's lots of smashing and shooting stuff and yelling and people getting shot with arrows and a crippled guy being set on fire um, and people getting pulled under the wheels of cars for weird reasons. Yeah. And <laughs> That's entertainment! And, and, you know, oh, Max is just driving his heart out, trying to make sure that he he can get away and the kid's in danger. And then there's a gigantic... Oh, and Wes gets on it and he gets thrown off the front. And then we get another jump scare. And then Humongous kills himself and Wes by accident and destroys the <laughs> rig. And there's a big crash. And, um, you know, for a bunch of people who aren't wearing seatbelts, they sure do survive crashes really good if, if you're Max yeah. and the little kid. Because he's walking away from that crash. <laughs> and uh, he goes around, and uh, the tanker is uh, uh, turned over. And what's pouring out of the tanker? Dirt. Dirt. He was a diversion. He was he was a diversion. They had loaded the the gasoline into the school bus that the other people were going to be escaping on. He was they were the diversion, and uh, you know the gyro captain shows up in his broken gyrocopter, and I guess picks up the kid, who uh, I think figured out by this point that hanging around with Max is kind of dangerous and <laughs> not as fulfilling as he thought it would be. So he went off with the guy who has empathy. Yeah, he, so he ran off with the guy who has emotion has an emotional core, and they left Max behind to wander the wastelands. And then we have the closing uh, monologue where he talks about how he and the gyro captain became the new leader of the refinery people, and they went up north and established the great northern tribe, and he learned to speak, I guess, <laughs> at some point. And, and uh, we just kind of leave Max uh, out in the desert. Bye, the Max. <laughs> that is, that's pretty much the last shot. It's like, oh, there, bye, Max. Bye, Max. Because once again, you're like, come with us. It'll be great. And he's like, no, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, <laughs> now it's time to review this son of a bitch. <laughs> you, um, I, <sighs> here, it's, it's, <laughs> it's difficult. You're to... having the same problem that I'm having. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I yeah, did. See. I did. I didn't hate it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was a bad movie. 
No. Uh, I admired parts of it. I particularly mm. admired how focused it was and how it was uh, a very singular action movie. There was one story. It was relatively easy to follow. Um, yeah. It didn't... It, and it, it was 90 minutes as opposed yeah. to, you know, two hours and 30 minutes, <laughs> uh, which seems to be the standard running time for, like, big action movies nowadays. Uh, even though, I mean, the, the the car chase scenes maybe get a little bit repetitive or maybe yeah. feel like they're going on a little long. But even them, if you compare them to, you know, uh, a mid-film action sequence in a, a, a modern action movie, they, they're actually not that long and not nearly as sort of tedious and, and pleased with themselves as as action scenes and even a good modern action like even even a really good modern action movie like the new avengers movie the action just goes on forever it just yeah. takes so long to get to from point a to point b and at least in in this movie the the, the action scenes are not nearly that self-indulgent no. uh so i liked it for that reason but then on the other hand i mean yeah like there there's there's a point where where the max character goes from being sort of a, a good representative of a certain type of character because yeah. I mean these types of characters are not uncommon it's the movie is basically a non-traditional western it is a western yeah. almost beat for beat and I, I would I would argue that that uh, watching this um, I'm reminded a lot of the kind of uh, morally dubious spaghetti westerns that yeah. were produced yeah. in the 1960s and 70s Max is the man with no name. Yeah. And who sort of gets pulled into a story that doesn't really have anything to do with him. And then at the end, the, the, the main conflict is resolved and he just sort of goes off on his own again. Um, mm-hmm. But Max in this movie is so stoic mm-hmm. and, and so undemonstrative. I mean, it's to the point where like, you feel like Clint Eastwood is going to walk in and go, say something. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt to crack a smile yeah. every once in a while. Which he does. He does crack a smile on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Um, what I would argue is that one of the one of the things about the film is that it is bleak. Yeah, it is one of the, and I've heard people describe it as being, oh well, it's about this guy who 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 uh, learns to help people. It's not. Max does no. not. Max, the character, does not have a change of heart in this movie. He is emotionally dead. He is detached. One of the reasons why I mentioned the voyeuristic scene is that that scene in which he is up on a ridge and he's watching everything through binoculars. He's watching the attack on the refinery and then the horrible attack on the scouts that have tried to leave. He is watching it from a distance. And that and I can't help but think, because George Miller is a good enough filmmaker, that that is metaphoric for how detached he has become from the world that he lives in and his own his own ability to feel things. Because they yeah. make a point... In that scene, especially in the scene where they're attacked and the guy is killed and the woman is sexually assaulted, they show Max and he is just watching it as if he's watching lizards crawl across a wall. Yeah. The gyro captain is actually being struck emotionally by what's happening. He's the one that still has an emotional core. He's the one that's still upset by watching what's going on. And you juxtapose that to Max, who is not. He is making calculations as to how can I make this... How can I use this to my benefit? And that it's really difficult to have a movie where you have a main character who isn't evil, but isn't good either. Yeah, I would make the argument that the Max character in this is 
he has flashes of good. He doesn't. He doesn't want. He doesn't want to murder people outright. But he is probably not above killing people if it means getting what he wants. The, when people called him a parasite, the, the leader of the, the gang called him a maggot. Yeah. That he was feeding off the remains of the old world. That's correct. He <laughs> is. He is not a. He's not a hero. He's not. I would argue he's not even an anti-hero. You know what I mean? He's, no. Well, he's I- not a Han Solo. He's not a rogue. <laughs> no, he's not a likable rogue at all. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think, as you say, I mean, the the film I do think is smart enough that it it knows that about Max. You know, it's mm. not it's not just an accident. It's not he's not that way because of bad screenwriting or because you know. I mean, we know from from the rest of his career that it's not Mel Gibson's fault either. Mel Gibson can be an no. incredibly charming, uh, engaging actor if not human and being. And you know what? He he does a really good job in this movie. Sure. He I, he is not a stone-faced uh you know, he, he he it's obvious that he's processing things and doing things, but he's doing it from a very specific character standpoint. Yeah, and I think I mean I think part of the the point of the movie, one of the one of the main things that the movie is about other than what it's literally about is that that comparison between Max and the gyro captain where the gyro captain is the one who once he once he is in the situation seems like he he's he's trying to help people he's going out of his way to help people including Max and and he 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 sort of joins the family of the people in the refinery and we learn at yeah. the end that you know he goes on to he becomes their leader he he gets all he gets all the benefits you know he yeah. he he gets a society again he gets to have a new life and Max is left alone on the road so in that sense i we're meant, i think we're meant to see Max as as a tragic character like his removal and his his sort of emotional deadness is depriving him of taking part in society again. But the problem is, as, as great as of a theme as that is, we still have to hang out with Max for an hour and a half. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's a little... He's, he's almost a little too undemonstrative to be yeah. able to have a stake in what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you're waiting for him to have that moment where he goes, okay, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. He never has it. He never has yeah. that moment. When he uh, finally says, I'll drive the rig, he's telling the truth. I have nothing. I have nothing left. I have lost everything. This is the only choice that I have. And he says that out loud. Yeah. And everyone else knows it. So it's not like, you know, in, in a lot of uh, other movies where they, where they want to have a redemptive quality to the character who has been relatively horrible, there would be that moment where something terrible happens and they go, okay, I'm doing this for revenge's sake or I'm doing this because it's right or, you know, I've suddenly remembered what it's like to love again or whatever else, other things that are out there. So it's kind of a... a it's kind of atypical to have a character whose morality does not change. Yeah. Throughout the entire film, there's no growth in this character from beginning to end. He was a you know uh, a user from the beginning and a user at the end. And the whole trick at the end, where the the tanker is filled with dirt, Max didn't know that. Right. The the big switcheroo is is that they were using him, just like he would use other people. He got used. He got he got turned into a decoy, more than likely to go die. That right. he did not volunteer for. <laughs> um, so maybe that's why he didn't join them afterwards. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I'm good. 
Um, but that being said, I mean, it, it's kind of like one of those films where it's not bad. It's not a badly made film. There are a couple of hinky parts. They love, boy, do they love speeding up the film during oh, a couple yeah. of those those uh, car scenes where they speed it up and it starts to look like a, a Benny Hill. Yeah, I was just, yeah, that's. I was just gonna say it's the Benny Hill moment. <laughs> but some of the shots are are really beautiful. Oh, it's Man. a it's a beautifully made film. Yeah, except for those weird choices, like you mentioned about the the, the sped up photography. Uh, it, it's a really really well made action movie. I mean, uh, and Max is definitely a master of the martial arts. He uses that car like that's uh, true, a, a kung fu master. I mean, and which was established, really which was established in the previous film. Yeah, that was, his, and and if you were if you had seen the the first Mad Max and then you watch this, this is almost crushing, because you see that he has literally lost all of his soul. He, the the differences between the Mad Max uh, in the original movie, where he's a family man and you know he's kind of been placed in that you know there are these insane gangs uh, running around Australia and he has to fight them and he loses everything. They kind of leave that ending where he is he is broken, but now this is the result of that brokenness. Right. And it really does. If you watch this movie, you're kind of like, wow, he's just gone. The the person that was in the first movie is completely gone and has been replaced with this guy who is just doing things in order to survive. And, and my question is, why is he doing it? Yeah. Why is he trying to stay alive? It can't be for his dog, who he obviously loves. There's a scene where the dog uh, starts to attack the guy in the, in the uh, wheelchair, yeah. and people start crowding around him, and he rushes in, and he grabs the dog, and he says, no, no, it's, uh, it's fine, it's okay, and he picks the dog up yeah. and hugs it. So it's obvious that he, he feels something for animals, I think he's just done with people. <laughs> yeah, there is he's... there's an there's an irony in the opening narration because a- after that summary of of the events of the first film, the narrator refers to Max going out on the road, going out into the wastes, and learning to live again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is not what we see. And I wonder, no. if, I wonder if that's maybe it's a it's an instance because we 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 find out at the end of the film that the narrator is the feral child and that he's narrating it from a point in the future where right. max has sort of become a romanticized figure mm-hmm. to the tribe and maybe yeah. that's part of the romanticized version of max that these people that these descendants or these future people that are there in yeah. part because of max's efforts have have of him now because when we actually see max living out there in the desert he is not he has not learned to live again as you no. as we've said many times already he's he's completely shut off he's just exactly. he's just an animal trying to survive and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing because if you compare what the memories of this guy are as compared to what we have just been shown, um, I don't know if they're trying to make a statement that we romanticize people in order to feel better about events that occurred in the past. I, God knows we never romanticize uh, heroes yeah. from the past in real life. <laughs> Thank God we don't do that for real, huh? <laughs> I mean, it would be kind of like you made uh, a George Washington story in which he boozed and drank and beat people up, and <laughs> he was foul-mouthed, and, but he did some nice things yeah. for, for the United States. First in and war, then, first in peace. And, you know, that's probably more prevalent. We, we try to remember uh, uh, the nice things about people and, and try to give them motivations that, prob- that maybe they did not have. Um, but it's very, very clear in this film that Max doesn't have motivations for helping people. Yeah. He, he, we don't, like I said, we don't get that redemptive scene where he's like, I'm doing this because it's right and good. 
So in the end, you're kind of like, you're left without a character arc for the main character. Yeah. It kind of becomes shit that happened on Tuesday for Mad Max. (laughs) And... Um, you know, you fully expect him to climb back into one of his one of the salvage vehicles and continue on his way and and avoid getting murdered and find other people to con gas out of and and that's day to day life and that's that's a bleak message to leave yeah <laughs> to leave on um, in a lot of ways uh, like we mentioned earlier the gyro captain is the one that has the character arc. Because he's yeah, kind be- of when we first meet him, he's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and he's he's uh, booby trapped his 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 gyrocopter with poisonous snakes <laughs> that he's trained, um, and he has the drop on Max, and he's going to take his gasoline and everything else, um, and by the end of it, he's a functioning member of another group, another society of people who have hopes and dreams, and and and. Uh, you know, he goes off, and in a lot of ways, I think in a tra- traditional film, that would have been the main hero. That would have been the central character. But since we're talking about Western tropes, yeah. and the and basically the uh, the and not necessarily a hero for hire, but the the vigilante or the bounty hunter or yeah. whoever else, the the the, the walking guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is one of the reasons why a lot of people say I want a Boba Fett movie, and I'm like, I don't want a Boba Fett movie because it would be Mad Max again. Right. It would be, you know, a morally indifferent person out for themselves for two hours, and there's no growth there. There's no, unless you're willing to dramatically change the character, there's no growth there. These kinds of characters work as a side character and not necessarily as a central character. So I, I agree with you that the movie itself is strong in a, in a number of senses. Uh, working with, you know, they had a bigger budget than they did on the, on the first Mad Max film. But this movie doesn't reek of money. By, no. any, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think one of the differences is, uh, is that they have really good actors in the places that they need them. You know, where they need really good actors to be able to pull this off. If, this, if they had had bad actors delivering some of this dialogue, the movie would not have worked. Oh my god, it, yeah, it would have... Yeah, the, the, having, having people who can say things that, that are really silly things... <laughs> But mm-hmm. but living out character lives in the in this ridiculous setting, uh, but to do it with conviction is absolutely necessary. Yeah, uh, I think that that probably the weakest one is Wes, <laughs> because yeah. um, he does some ridiculous stuff in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, Wes is the lead gang is the the lead gang member. I guess under Humongous, I guess he's Humongous's primary lieutenant. Um, and he does a lot of hissing, a lot of, uh, no, we must go destroy them scenes. <laughs> and a lot um, of mugging, a lot of just out and out mugging, especially oh, during the action scenes. Um, he's going way over the top and he doesn't have the chops to pull, pull off a way over the top villain of that nature. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is humongous, humongous. They had the uh, humongous is a massive man. He is he is a guy who works out. I don't know where the Gold's Gym is in the wasteland, but he knows where it is because he is buff. He's there every morning. And I guess what George Miller said is, well, we can't find an actor who's going to be able to pull off the performance, so we're going to stick a mask over him, and we'll just ADR in his dialogue. Yeah. I just wish they had found someone else to ADR his dialogue in because uh, some of what the humongous says just does not work. <laughs> We get the idea. I mean, one of the things about it is that when you see this guy stand up and he's just 
He's wearing a leather bikini and a hockey mask, and he's <laughs> he is ripped. He is shredded oh, he's beyond gigantic, belief. Gigantic, yeah. Um, and then he starts talking in a fairly intelligent manner. That makes him a th- real threat because that means that he is measured and he is a thinking villain. He right. is not. He is not just attack them all, take all the stuff. You know. You know. He is someone who has managed to gather together a large group of people and have them follow him. Because he is intelligent enough to keep giving them what they need, you know what I mean. Yeah. He's he's not dumb. He's not a dumb villain, and no, that's he, present in the dialogue. I, I don't know for for a fact, but I would suspect uh, because this was such a popular film that uh, Lord Humongous was probably in some sense an inspiration for for the the creation of the character of Bane in Batman, because the original comic book version is very much. And it really you know, the dark, I had the, the I had the same. I want Humongous and Bane from uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight, yeah. yeah, from Dark Knight Rises to have a nice conversation. Yeah, they can have a nice cup of tea. Um, <laughs> you know, and also a little bit of trivia. Uh, my fellow pro wrestling fans will probably know that um, Wes is the primary inspiration for the look of the legendary wrestling tag team, the Road Warriors. Uh, oh well, they're the, wow! They got they yeah. Got, they they stole the name and everything, and and uh, Lord Humongous <laughs> is the inspiration for the the look of the another great wrestling tag team from the eighties, Demolition. So there you go. Oh my god! That, well, there we go. Wrestling loved the Road Warrior. They they ripped it off <laughs> repeatedly. Well, they are kind of like prof- They're a gang of professional wrestlers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So what's your, your final, would you recommend this film, Steve? I would, you... I would recommend it, yeah. I mean, I would recommend it. Uh, it's it's a good, it's a well-mounted action movie. Um, it's, as I say, if you like westerns, this is a great example of sort of a modernized, non-traditional western. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's not a great movie. I'm not quite sure why it became such a huge hit, why it struck a chord oh, the way Oh, I it know did. why. I know exactly why. But because I would recommend it. Nothing yeah. else, there was nothing else like it. Well, there you go. Up until that point, it was it was wholly original. Um, I'm fairly certain that there were probably post-apocalyptic f- uh, films up to that point, um, but they were you know they were B movies, they were Corman stuff, yeah. and they always managed to say this is in the future, so they still have laser guns and swords <laughs> and crap like that. This movie kind of took a more realistic bent and said, okay, society has collapsed more or less at wherever the time frame is that this movie was released in 1981. Yeah. So there's no laser guns, there's no mutants, uh. there's no there's no uh you know technology that has fallen in the hands of someone else. These are these are people who are fighting over gasoline. And um so the costuming and everything else kind of had this kind of gritty realistic look to it. Um there hadn't been a whole lot of car fighting movies and that's what this is. It's yeah. a car fighting movie. Um, so it was, f- it was fresh and new, and it hadn't be- there hadn't been really anything that had uh, hit American cinemas quite like it. Um, now, since it came out, it's been uh, repeated over and over and over again. Uh, I think, well, I mean, we were talking before we started recording, excuse me, recording, that, um, boy, um, after watching this movie, a lot of the films that came out in the 1980s make a lot more sense. Uh, this, is, oh, yeah. this, is a, this is a reference film. You will be able to find uh, scads of other movies that have either directly lifted or drew in for inspiration from this film, partially because it was so popular, but also because it was a different, it was a new kind of, I would say that this probably kicked off the post-apocalyptic genre of stuff. 
And, um, you know, I'm going to recommend it. Um, uh, Once again, as a touchstone film, it's one of those films where if you want a a better understanding of films, especially films in the 1980s, um, then you should probably watch The Road Warrior. Um, Like I said, it is great in certain parts and awful in other parts. (laughs) And it is not a movie that when you're done, you're like, well, that was fun. You're not going to say that. It wasn't fun. Unless your thing is is metal smashing into metal and that's all you like, then maybe you might walk away and say that's fun. But uh, for the most part, you walk away going, that was morally ambiguous. (laughs) And I don't know how to feel now. I'm going to go lie down and try not to think about peak oil for a little while (laughs) after watching it. Um, but I would recommend. I would recommend it. The performances are good. The script is is actually very good. It's a very spare script. Um, this boy did this movie believe in showing and not telling. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, uh, it is like like we both agree. It is a western, and uh, a western of a, a very specific type. This is not a John Wayne western. This is a Clint Eastwood western, with Max as the new as the new man with no name. And uh, point of trivia. They actually call him the man with no name in Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, perfect. Um, uh, which does have, and here's the funny thing, Beyond Thunderdome was, uh, a lot of people consider that to be the lesser of these two films. Um, and in Beyond Thunderdome, they do give him a moral, they do give Max a moral center and a moral turnaround. So I guess the fans love moral <laughs> ambiguity more than they like character development. We don't want him to be good. They exactly. ruined the whole thing by making him good. Um, so it makes me curious as to what Fury, uh, what uh, Fury Road's going to be like, the new Mad Max film that's yeah. coming out, which I'm actually interested in seeing because I like George Miller. He has some hit and misses uh, in his filmography, but uh, I think he's a, a very good filmmaker, and I'm curious as to see what he's going to do with a gigantic budget and CGI effects and all that other stuff, um, and whether he will grow on the Mad Max world that he's created or um, just get mired in special effects and horribleness and... <laughs> And uh, and here's the here's the other funny thing about uh, Mad Max because we're talking about a film in which the the lead character um, kind of uh, idealizes the Mad Max character. This movie has kind of become uh, that same way. Yeah, I think a lot of people remember this film differently than than what it actually is. I think a lot of people assume that there is some sort of moral turnaround for the character, or, or you know, all that other stuff. Or that it's more exciting than it was, or it was more breathtaking yeah. than it was, or that yeah, there are some great stunts in here uh, performed by actual stuntmen doing actual stunt work live on camera. There are no special effects. There are no actually there are I don't think any special effects in this film. Yeah, I think it's all I think practical. Every, I think everything in here is practical. When that whirly gig crashes at the end of the movie, that thing actually crashes. Um, I think the the most special effects they have are are are. Uh, body dummies filled with paint so that when they get pulled underneath cars they get crushed up good <laughs> I think that's uh, that's the, the extent of their special effects um, so yeah I would recommend it um, yeah now I'm feeling morally ambiguous about this review <laughs> maybe we should have made it less clear whether we like the movie or not <laughs> I'm just going to say that I feel the same way about the movie coming in as I do going out. How's that? (laughs) Perfect. There was no arc to this review. 
<laughs> and now it's time to recommend a movie that we want to recommend, Steve. <laughs> is there a movie that you want to recommend? There is a movie I want to Strongly? recommend. Strongly? Funny you should ask. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, as we've mentioned a few times here, I think uh, The Road Warrior is can be understood pretty well as an example of a, a non-traditional Western. In this case, it takes a, a very classic Western plot and drops it into a post-apocalyptic setting. The movie I'm going to recommend uh, is a similar type of non-traditional Western. It takes a classic Western story and drops it into a feudal Japan setting. Uh, <laughs> I am recommending uh, the lesser known of um, uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Yojimbo series, uh, which is the sequel to Yojimbo called Sanjiro. Oh. Uh, just as Road Warrior was sort of a sequel, was a sequel, but not promoted as a sequel to uh, uh, to Mad Max. Sanjiro is a sequel to Yojimbo, which was one of Akira Kurosawa's most popular films in the West at the time. Uh, and Sanjiro is its sequel, but is far less seen uh, than Yojimbo. But it's a very similar movie, and it's very much a classic sort of Western story. Uh, it uh, stars the great Toshiro Mifun. Uh, who, if you, and if you don't know who Toshiro Mifune is, uh, just imagine Clint Eastwood, nope. only tough enough that he makes Clint Eastwood look like Gabby Hayes. If you don't know who he's, he is, you you are missing out, he's, buddy. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's a, a, not only a great action hero, but a, a tremendous actor, just a wonderful mm-hmm. actor, and, and he, has range because he doesn't oh, play the same character over and over. Again. Absolutely, he, he if you even if you only watch his Kurosawa films, he has a tremendous range, and let alone his overall career. Um, but he plays uh, the, the title character, Sanjiro, uh, who is sort of, he's a ronin, he's a masterless samurai. And in this movie, he wanders into a conflict that really has nothing to do with him. Uh, he gets involved in the story because he happens to be napping in a room where the other characters are talking about the problem. And he kind of wakes up and goes, well, you know what you should do? And then he's off and running into the story. And it's just, it's a, it's a really classic sort of one man against a great threat type of uh, movie and it, it ultimately has kind of an anti-violence message to it uh, and it's just a really it's a really good movie really sort of an underappreciated a le- lesser seen Kurosawa film uh, and very much in the western the classic western mold of the man with no name coming into town and fixing the problem and leaving town again uh, so yeah that's my recommendation Sanjiro oh good I'm going to uh, recommend a movie that uh, is in the post-apocalyptic vein, and in fact could actually be a movie that is taking place at the same time as The Road Warrior. Uh, At least in my fantasy life, I like to believe that they belong in the same universe. And that is the crippling, depressing The Road. (laughs) Great movie. It is a fan. Great movie. Now, this is going to sound strange when I say it is a fantastic movie. I'm going to put this caveat in it. Do not expect to be happy when this movie is over, because you won't be. Um, A lot of the same themes that are covered in The Road Warrior are covered in The Road, but in a much more... A much more adult fashion, I would have to say. A much more um, intense fashion. It is about the loss of trust, the... um, what people are willing to do in order to survive. Um... 
I'm forgetting the lead actor's name. Uh, <laughs> Vigo Mortensen. Shoot. Vigo Mortensen plays a father uh, to a, a young child as they try to survive um, in a post-apocalyptic future. And once again, this isn't like future technology and they're robots or whatever. Um, this is, I believe that there's been an environmental collapse of some sort. There's no gas. There are roams of cannibalistic gangs running around. And... Uh, Vigo um, is trying desperately just to stay alive. Uh, food is scarce. People are starving to death. And Vigo has um, is trying desperately to basically just keep his son alive. And in a weird po- in a weird way, um, the movie's uh, central crux is that his son is his lost morality that lives outside of him. His son is the decent one. Maybe because he doesn't know better, or maybe because he. Uh, um, is growing up in this kind of post-apocalyptic world, but his f- uh, a lot of the conflict comes between the uh, what could be considered the juvenile re- morality of his son, um, you know, not stealing from people, not uh, taking all of someone's shit out of revenge, <laughs> not you know, trying to trust other people. Where in some cases they're misguided and could get them killed, in other cases it's just the the decent thing to do. It is a bleak film. It is a rubby film, but it is a film that is, is worthwhile watching at least once. I don't want to give away too much about it. I don't... I, I would love people to just... Because uh, I know a lot of people avoided it. I know a lot of people avoided The Road because they found out that it was really depressing and they didn't want to go see it. And I know a lot of people who only want to go to movies to be entertained. But um, movies serve more of a purpose than to just be entertaining. And The Road is one of those films. Uh-huh. It, it has an emotional core that is important, and I think it says a lot about humanity and human nature and uses <sighs> fiction in a way to address things that hopefully we'll never have to go through ourselves. Um, but to pretend that something like The Road isn't happening somewhere else in some other country where things aren't nearly as nice, you're lying to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's kind of the point that these films make is that they're trying to address certain things about humanity, where, where, where we can go when survival becomes utmost and where trust is lost. Um, so I'm going to recommend The Road. Steve, do you like that movie? I love it. It is a, it is a bleak but beautiful movie. Yeah. I really, yeah, really like it. It, yeah. is, it, is, it is beautiful. Yeah. Okay. That's it. You heard how what we think about the Road Warrior, which is kind of what the movie itself is, which is like, <laughs> oh, this is good. Uh-huh. I need to go. I need to go watch something nice and uplifting. Yeah. I just, I, I now I'm thinking about the Road and the Road Warrior, <laughs> and now I'm picturing Mad Max encountering the kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Kid, just go. You, and the funny thing is, they both mentioned the fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, Carrying the Fire, fire. yeah. Carrying the Fire is mentioned in both of those films. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing is, the kid would ask Max, do you still have the fire? And Max would go, no, bye. (laughs) (laughs) I put out the fire a long time ago, kid. (laughs) There's no more fire. Yeah, I think I'll I'll go watch Schindler's List. That has there an uplifting go. ending. Can, right? re- relatively speaking, it is a Stephen King. It is Stephen King. It Stephen is a King. Stephen. <laughs> no, that would end with alien uh, spider clowns. Yeah, that's yeah. how the Stephen King version of all of these movies would have ended. Um, it is a Steven Spielberg movie, so it has to have an happy ending. <laughs> Stephen, should we really tack on a happy ending to the Holocaust? <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. damn it. That's what, we're going to put a happy ending on everything. We're going to put a happy ending on the Holocaust. Don't worry, everybody. Yeah, so you, now you have a little insight in how we feel about some of Steven Spielberg's movies. Oh, we should do a Spielberg movie for one of these. Do you, do you want to? Let's do Schindler's sure. List. Let's do Schindler's <laughs> List. Let's. Well, yeah, let's make Jason try to make that funny. That's we'll what do, I want to do. We'll do Schindler's Holy. List, and then we'll do another depressing movie, and we can call this our depression trilogy for late season. Hey, let's let's do a Steven Spielberg twofer and do Schindler's List in Munich. Oh, That'll be fun. There you go. No, that's not. I wasn't being serious. <laughs> you know what I want to do after this? I want to review Care Bears movie. Right. I want to do something that is so cloyingly sweet let's do that something I'm happy. That it replaces my depression with anger. That's all I want to do now. Let's do a Hulk Hogan film. Let's do anything. Ooh, there you go. That'll that'll make you depressed in a different way. <laughs> like this got funding. Oh my god. There was actually a point where this guy was a big enough star that somebody thought he could Someone carry thought, a film. we'll make money off of this guy's fame. Uh, yeah. uh, all right. Thanks, you guys. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Please leave comments here on the SoundCloud channel um, and recommend any movies that you want us to watch. We may pick it up and run with it. Um, but we probably won't. Just, yeah, we won't. Well, maybe but, we will. Uh, I'll give him some hope. Unlike the Road this, Warrior, give him some hope. <laughs> give him some hope. There's a whole list of films that I'm not touching. I'm not going anywhere near Sophie's Choice, Schindler's List. <laughs> Anything that's going to leave me just hating humanity and, or feeling indifferent. Um, <laughs> so, until next time, this has been Jason Harding. And this has been Steve Shives. And listen, avoid the road warrior, okay? Drive a Prius and use public transportation. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, if you're driving a Prius in the post-apocalyptic future, they're going to like, no gas in that one. <laughs> you're good. Get a yeah, plug, but we get can a... still kill, kill him and rape him. Yeah, <laughs> what's the point? If there's no gas. <laughs> I'm not going to rape someone just to do it. If I can rape someone to get some gas, then you're talking about something totally different. Yeah, the lesson of uh, the post-apocalyptic future is either have a Prius or just walk. Just, How about a horse? That doesn't run gasoline. Yeah, just walk and nobody will fuck with you. Yeah, you'll not be a target. Can I do my ending catchphrase now? Please. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, until next time, go see a movie this week. You were supposed to have something prepared, sir. Bye. That is not a catchphrase. We are not ending this Don't podcast. Don't worry, be happy. No! Okay, and you can't rip them off from 80s songs from Bobby oh, Ferret either. God damn it. Bye, everybody. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Okay, I, I ain't ending this. I, want, I need to have a catchphrase? Um, <laughs> we are now five shows in. You should have is... had a catchphrase by now. <laughs> there is no excuse for not having a catchphrase. There's his catchphrase. <laughs> My catchphrase is still no catchphrase. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, bye everybody. Still no catchphrase. <laughs>